Welcome to Real Talk JavaScript, the weekly talk show with advice and insight into the technologies and practices currently being used to build web applications in the real world. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Wallen, and John Papa talk to industry experts about their experiences writing, deploying, and maintaining web applications in HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Real Talk JavaScript. This is episode 70, and this week we're joined by Ken Wheeler, who's going to be talking to us all about React performance. This is Craig Shoemaker, and I'm joined by the one and only Ward Bell. Ward, how are you doing today? Uh, peachy for a guy who's stuck in a coffin at the moment. <laughs> coffin? What's, this isn't... Uh, this isn't uh, Halloween? No, I know. I would like to pop out of a coffin for Halloween. No, I'm in a <laughs> in a in a phone booth at my office, and I'm surrounded by sound paneling. That um, and, and it's very tight quarters. So uh, if if I start screaming and pounding or something like that, it's just me trying to escape. <laughs> Well, hopefully it smells good. That's like the, the biggest thing. Well, I haven't really uh, I haven't really filled the air with my uh, friendliness yet, but <laughs> until I do, it's going to be all right. That's awesome. Well, let's go ahead and, and jump right in. Um, we're joined by, by Ken Wheeler. He's the developer of open source projects such as Slick, Spectacle, and Webpack Dashboard. Thanks for joining us, Ken. Thanks for having me. What's going on, fellas? Well, Ward's unfortunately stuck in a coffin, and I just dodged the rain. So, uh, I, you know. All, all is great, in other words. Exactly. Nice. Everything is exactly the way it always is. <laughs> right. I, I'm, I'm in my home office, which is also very small, but I enjoy it. Yeah. I'm yeah. just surrounded by audio equipment. Oh. That's the best. Having your toys around you is always awesome. I'm just completely surrounded by electronics <laughs> on every side. You'll have to take a picture and, and, and put that up so we can see what it looks like. Sure thing. So, Ken, I'm curious about the spectacle thing. What is that the spectacle that we use? No, you're probably thinking of the thing for like the, 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 uh, the it's like the Mac Windows. Yeah, yeah no. that's so what I was thinking. Spectacle is, um, it's a presentation library written in React. It lets you re- like make like, uh, like talk slides, but with React oh. components. Uh huh. No, you, you, you see, it gets a lot of play at React comps a lot of the time. Oh, great. Um, you know, I've got to go to one of those at some point. But they won't have me. I'm not sure if they'll have <laughs> They're a hoot. They're a hoot? Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, what was the last one that you spoke at, and what did you speak about? Oh, the last one that I spoke at, I spoke at ReasonConf in, well, it wasn't really a React Conf, but sort of. So I spoke at ReasonConf in Chicago. Um, are, are you guys familiar with uh, ReasonML? I am not. It's one of the MLs, I take it. Uh, so, so it's um, what it is is it's a syntax extension on top of the language OCaml, and it makes it kind of JavaScripty. Um, so you're writing OCaml, but uh, so there's there's a couple different paths you can go with this. You can either uh, use BuckleScript to transpile it to JavaScript. So what you get is. Uh, like really nicely typed language that's then becoming JavaScript. Um, or uh, it compiles to native code, um, which in a lot of cases is as fast as C. Um, so I've done both. Um, but at the Chicago conference, ReasonConf, um, I spoke about 
uh, some of the math and programming behind audio. Um, so I broke down how audio, digital audio, uh, digital signal processing works um, from a, a software engineering perspective uh, with examples in OCaml. And then I had built a drum machine and it was completely native. Um, so all, all the logic was, was native. It was hooking into the sound card and even the UI itself as a, you know, windowed application was native, um, because, uh, so reason has this thing called reverie, um, which is, it's essentially react, I guess, built in, uh, in reason, but it's, it's native. So it, it renders to open GL, um, so if you imagine writing like React code for the web, right, and uh, you know using like view and text like you would with like React Native or React Native Web, um, except uh, instead of going to like a in, like an Electron app where it's a web view, um, it's actual GL graphics, right? So this whole drum machine was um, pretty much 100% native, but still written with a React paradigm um, in OCaml. So that that's what I was talking about. It was it was fun. Well, and so you, you were interested in an ML language because you were you were going after uh, immutability and all that other stuff. Yeah, so I mean, I think if you're a fan of the React paradigm, um, you know, Reason is is a great next step um, because React was originally written in standard ML, um, and the pattern translates really nicely there. Like if if you're if you're trying to use React the way it was intended to be used on the web. Um, there's a lot of foot guns along the way um, because of JavaScript and because of the web platform. But when you write it in in Reason ML, um, it's it's a little bit easier to do it as it was envisioned. You know, you have the things like the immutability, you have the things like like pattern matching, um, and the the whole update paradigm, like you, you'd see in something like Elm, um, really shines there. But you're still using JSX and all that other stuff. Yeah, so that's one of the syntax extensions. Um, so uh, via PPX, which lets you like uh, like do like essentially babble for OCaml, um, it, it lets you uh, define these syntax extensions. And uh, you know, Reason isn't just the syntax extension where it lets you use like um, JSX or you know, kind of makes things a little bit JavaScriptier. Um, but it's also uh, like a suite of tools that come with it. Um, if you've done native development, you know it's kind of a pain, um, especially as it relates to like uh, dependent packages, things like that. Right? You start getting into like brew install and git submodules and make files, and you know it gets a little rowdy. Um, but uh, so what Reason does is it tries to bring like an npm style package management flow and script running to that as well. Um, so beyond the syntax extension, right, it has this thing called Easy, um, which is it's just kind of like NPM. It'll let you, uh, Easy is for native apps, but it'll, it'll let you define um, uh, dependencies and it does the builds for you. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. Um, but it, it also works with, uh, with NPM, so you can have like uh, NPM scripts style things. Uh, so like the, the kind of like workflow accoutrements that we're used to is, uh, JavaScript developers um, is being brought to native uh, with this tool chain. Well, that's the 101st approach to writing React that I have encountered in the <laughs> last two weeks. <laughs> 
which is so, <laughs> commentary, right? I mean, it's fair <laughs> though. I mean, this is the React community. It's like, well, I can do React a different way, and I'm going to put a P in front of it and call it pre. You know, anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I don't mean to make fun. I mean, I think that's actually part of the culture. It seems like it's part of the culture. Well, yeah. Um, you know, the, the the React crew is is largely uh, a bunch of misfits. Um, and also a bunch of armchair computer scientists. So what they're what they're they're constantly looking to uh, fix problems in user space. Um, so you're going to see a lot of that, a lot of um, I, I guess more radical approaches to fixing user space problems rather than I, I don't know what would be considered using the platform. When it when it comes to terms and that that relate to performance. Were you working on some larger scale apps and you had to find ways in order to dial in the, the performance of it? Or we, did you come in at it? Like what angle brought you into this space? A lot of the time you can have a performance problem and not even know it. And therefore it's not even a performance problem, really. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> if you have a performance problem, but you don't know it, I don't see how you have a performance <laughs> problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's there, right? Like, so, so, uh, well, what Take does for- that mean, Ken? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Because you're hitting on some <laughs> – this is one of my favorite bugaboos. You know, somebody will say, sure. oh, this X is more performant than Y, or if you do that, it's not performant. And, I, and like I say, okay, I can see why that would be in theory. But when I run the app, I can't tell. Why am I – and you're going to make me stand on my head to cure it? Why? Let's do one thing really quick. Let's take a break, and then we'll give you a chance to answer that right after the break. So, John, one of the things I like about AG Grid, which is a, a data grid component for the kind of complex uh, grid scenarios that we encounter all the time in enterprise apps, one of the things I really like about it is that it works for a variety of frameworks, Angular, React, Vue, or, or just vanilla JS. Does that ring a bell for you? Oh, it really does. There's all these different companies that I work with where they have no choice but to use a lot of these different tools because they have different teams working on them. So being able to port their code or share that code and that technical investment they have is really important to them. Yeah, well, it's important to us, uh, ideally, we're a consulting company. And, uh, you know, we never know what our client's going to want to use, Angular, React, or Vue. But they're all going to need a grid. And it's great to be able to reach for uh, the one grid that works everywhere, AG Grid. You know, at at any size company, too, because you could have these teams that maybe they only use one framework, but eventually they're going to switch to another one and be able to take that investment again and use it, reuse it is really nice. So if a multi-framework grid makes sense to you, you should certainly go over there uh, and check out AG Grid at ag-grid.com and tell them Warden John sent you. And now we're back. Sorry, Ken, go ahead and and, and take it from there. Sure. So... In the context of React specifically, right? Um, what what is the typical cause of performance problems? Uh, at least ones that are related to using React is uh, unnecessary rendering, right? So um, a lot of the time, right? Uh, like I said you could have a performance problem and not know it. It's not really a performance problem, but it is because um, you know those unnecessary renders are happening. And in, in, in your given scenario, right, um, you might not be seeing that problem. But I've, I've been in a lot of situations uh, over the past year um, working uh, in, in a variety of different environments, right? So you'll have like your local development environment. Then you'll have like a, 
like a, a, a collaborative develop environment, right? Where, where you're pushing out and that's dev, right? And then you have staging. Um, and then you have prod and across prod, that's horizontal across a number of different properties. Um, so y- you can't always anticipate um, the kind of size of, of data that you're going to be working with. Um, so if you, if you have performance problems and, you know, you're not seeing them, right, it's not a problem immediately. Um, but if, if, you, if you're in a situation where you have an unanticipated load, um, that performance problem is going to be very visible very quickly. So this would be the case where you were testing with just a few, maybe 20, 100 rows, and, but you're actually getting data. And it's, it's just the 1,000-row mm-hmm. grid problem. It's the grid drawing problem where a lot of, a lot of frameworks can get into trouble with, with um, performance. Is that kind of thing you're alluding to? Yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, I, I think one of the last ones that I had a problem with was uh, select dropdowns. Um, so if, if you're doing um, artificial select dropdowns, and, uh, you know, you say you have like 20 or 40 items on average, and then you go to something that magically has 2,500 items, um, it's going to take a second and a half to open. Wouldn't you say that you have a different problem, though? I mean, isn't it a question? Is that really a question of whether your drop down is fast enough and whether, as opposed to whether that was the right experience? Um, in, this, in this particular example, um, it, was, it was valid. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was, um, the, the instances of applications that were across servers. Um, the, the dropdown itself was a multi-select dropdown that had, um, a search bar so that you could do, uh, a search refinement of that dropdown list, um, and then do, do multiple selection, um, as, as part of a greater query criteria. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it was, it was a valid thing, um, it just so happened that this one thing just had a, a crap ton of instances. So I wanted to I want to find out about that, but I, I want to circle back to where you started with, it, which was that you said that a, a typical React problem is a is an over rendering uh, mm-hmm. problem. And you know, I, I you know, if I, as a casual reader of the marketees on this, it says, well, you know, you're never going to have that problem because there's this uh, uh, quote unquote virtual dumb. That's going to well. That's that's a load of malarkey. Okay, there you go. <laughs> and I will tell you why. So the the virtual dom, the rec, it's it's not really the virtual dom. It's 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 React reconciliation, right? Where it's going to go. It's going to it's going to look at the the differences in, as a result of uh, you know the the the, the UI is a function of state. Right. That's why um, I put it in air quotes because it's just too convenient to call it virtual air quotes dom as opposed to. <laughs> what you're describing. Yeah. But go ahead and describe it. Yeah, so 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 with this reconciliation paradigm, um, you know, it, it, it works a lot uh really well for a lot of apps. Um but if you have a lot of things changing, uh not so much, right? Uh if you have a lot of things on screen, that's one thing React doesn't do really well, is um having a large number of items, uh, a large number of components on the screen. Right. And, um, you know, uh, none of this is optimized by default. By default, everything just re renders all the time. Um, so you have to consciously uh, prevent it from re rendering, um, you know, in a number of different ways. 
uh, or it's just going to re-render all the time. And if you have a bunch of things, that's going to slow it down a lot. And then, you know, if, if you have a bunch of things and you're getting like a single update here and there, that's doable. But if a lot of things are updating all the time, um, it's you're not in a performance situation with React. So let's let's pull back for a second and then dive, return back into the details to to generalize it. What kind of situations have you seen or do you think people might find themselves, like what type of apps, what type of UIs would they be building where this really becomes an issue for them? So we've talked about the the multi-select. What other scenarios are there where it might be relevant? Well, let's say you have a list, right? If, if, you, if you have a list and it has, uh, you know, 100,000 things in it, um, React's going to have a really bad time with that list. Um, so, you know, the, the, the mitigation for that is to virtualize it. So to, to Ward's point, though, I mean, if, if you're pulling down 100,000 items onto your screen at a time, is it, is, when is it a React problem and when is it like maybe you just shouldn't do it that way? Um, it, that's, that's a real gray area. You know, I mean, so sometimes you can do um, pagination, right? Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you have a lot of things on the screen, and uh, you know that's how it goes. Like, like uh, imagine if you had. Um, I'm trying to figure out how I can talk about this. Uh, my, well, my thought is that uh, uh, you know you see this in a lot in line of business apps and enterprise apps where they just tell you they want that big grid and there's just the way it is. Uh, and that's what users are used to. And, and for you, for a certain user population that is trying to get as much data on the screen and wade through it as possible because they live there, that makes sense. I guess it makes some sense. So, uh, but there are lots of, um, virtualizing components out there, including one by our sponsor. Um, one of our sponsors, uh, that will do grids, uh, in any of the application platforms and, and we'll do the virtualization of it. And so wouldn't one want to switch to one of those things rather than try and learn how to write virtualizing components yourself? Um, it depends. Um, it, 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 it depends in a very big way. Um, so I'm not going to name names, but, um, you know, the, a lot of the, uh, the the commercially available grids um, mm-hmm. are actually very heavy and uh, not really great with performance. I, I mean, they're they're relatively good with performance, but uh, so so I'll I'll just go out with it. I uh, I, I work in finance, so uh, we're doing uh, real time interfaces with large amounts of information density and a lot of things going on simultaneously. So, um, whereas this thing might be performant for ninety uh, percent of people's Situation. Um, in the particular situation that I'm working in, um, the constraints uh, make it so that this is the slowest thing in our application. Um, so, me personally, uh, I, I, I've I've written my own data grids, and I write them in Canvas. Wow. Yeah. So I have it written. I, I have a grid that I've written in Canvas, and it does immediate mode rendering, uh, much like uh, games, it's like game programming. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when you, when you have, um, you know, 200,000 rows, so not 200,000 rows isn't really realistic, right? Let's say you just have 5,000 rows or or something like that, which is probably more of a common use case. Um, and you want to scroll through them and you don't want to see like, uh, like buffer gaps or flashing, um, uh, or or even if you just want a consistent 60 frames per second experience, um, and you, you know, uh, it, it's it's a good way to do that, especially if you have cells updating all the time. 
because mm-hmm. um, again, um, the, a lot of these these DOM based libraries are are similar to React in the sense that uh, they're doing uh, spot updates of 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 the UI, right? And if you're doing spot updates constantly, um, at some point they begin to queue. Right. Uh, very rarely is it possible to actually batch those modifications. For those who might not know, what what is a spot up? Um, so uh, imagine um, a, a piece of state changes, and then like a label on your website now is something else. Right. Like uh, say like a counter. Right. And then you have the label that's the count. If you increment the count, then that label needs to update. So the reconciler is going to go in, and it's going to actually perform the operation. You know, if you're going to do like an inner text or inner HTML or, or what have you, if you were to do it by hand and imperatively, that's what you would be doing, right? You'd be doing an append child or, a, or any of these different DOM operations that, um, you know, can be the result of a, a reconciliation task. Um, but the thing is, right, normally if, if, if you're just doing that and here and there like a counter is updating, it's fine. It's, 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 you know that that's the easiest way to go about it. Working with like a new DOM element each time, right? New DOM element, or even just patching the old one, right? Even just calling you know inner HTML or inner text on the existing like p tag or whatever, right? It's it's the most efficient way to go about it. But um, if if you have uh, like like uh, Excel in your browser, right? Like a like an Excel grid, and it has real time data. And those things are changing all the time. Uh, or if you have a data visualization, right? That's SVG, um, and that's changing all the time, right? That's that's all those little updates that where where it's invalidated. Like the the the, the core concept here, I suppose, is is invalidation um, because it, it applies to uh, the canvas stuff as well. Where um, if you Change something that has an effect on other things, right? You've you've essentially invalidated an area, right? And that that's that's browser performance as well. You know, if if you change the width on something, and it affects everything around it, right? All those things need to be repainted, right? And they've been right. invalidated to compensate for the change in dimension. That's right. So if you have a bunch of things. And now a bunch of things are invalidated. Now it has to go through and do those spot updates on every single one of those things. Mm. So um, in, in, in my particular paradigm, where you're doing immediate mode rendering, what you're saying is, um, if I can draw this entire thing in a, in a certain time window, it's going to be more efficient for me to redraw it every single time than it is going to be to sit here and try and handle this this list of, of queued changes to apply to the to the DOM or what have you, um, and as a side you'll effect, ma- you'll be making one big write instead of uh, fifty little ones. Within yeah, a, yeah, within precisely. a frame within a frame. Yeah, and and as a result of that, a lot of your logic actually becomes simpler rather than having to set up all these event listeners for all these different things. Where uh, if this does this, then do that. If this does this, then do that. Um, what you do is you just draw every single time off of a centralized state, and then you can you can do whatever you want with that state. You can mutably update it um, anytime you want, and it's the source of truth. So it's just going to draw from that. So you could you could uh, you could add a bunch of things to that that state object, and then if it doesn't get it uh, on this particular frame, it'll pick it up in the next one. 
right? So you're not doing, uh, it's, it's not event driven, so to say. So how did, what does that look like when you get down to React code? Because it, it sort of feels like what you described is a little bit in opposition to having wasted re-renders. So like if you're updating a larger part of the screen, there might be aspects of it that you don't need to. And so like, where's the trade-off between those two? So the React component that wraps that thing actually never re-renders. Um, and, and, and that's, that's a big part of it. Yeah. You're bypassing React altogether and you're just, you're just taking over the rendering of that part of the real estate. That's right. I'm, I'm using React as a, as an API entry point, right? So I, I get, um, I get props passed down, right? Into it and, and, and callbacks and things like that. Um, and if the props change, right, then, then I can do a, a, an update to the state based upon the prop change. Yeah. The, the, the whole, the whole React reconciler is is essentially bypassed in that scenario because it doesn't it doesn't make sense for it to do anything. I can see that with visual data visualizations very definitely. I mean, and what you're describing would be true in any framework I can think of. I mean, again, and you know, I mean, <laughs> if you were using Angular or something like that, and you you were confronted with that same kind of problem, you got to step outside. Um, now. It, it, that's not, and that's not a statement that React is slow or that Angular is slow or that anything is slow. It's just saying that the kind of workload you're putting on a region of the screen is too high for um, a generalized application framework to cope with. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tool for the job. All right, let's go ahead and stop here and break uh, for another sponsor message. Are you building a web application? Need to deliver it soon and don't have the people to do it? Maybe you're not sure your company has the skill set or experience to do it. And maybe we can help. I'm your host, Ward Bell, and my day job is building applications for companies like yours. I don't do it alone. I'm president of IdeaBlade, a consultancy that specializes in enterprise web application development. We're particularly strong in Angular, RxJS, NGRx Redux on the front end, and .NET and Microsoft technologies on the server. We're a small, tight-knit group of people handpicked by me for their expertise, experience, integrity, and team spirit. Maybe we can help you with architectural guidance and hands-on development. And if there's something we don't know, and in our field, really, there's too much to know, we can draw on our personal connections in the Microsoft RD, MVP, and Google GDE networks, as well as our international circle of really great developers, people we know and trust personally. If you've got a project that's keeping you up at night, shoot us an email at info at ideablade.com. That's info at ideablade.com. And now back to the show. All right, and we're back. So, Ken, can you tell us a little bit about, like, is there, within the financial apps that you've built, what kind of performance gains have you made based off of some changes that you've made? Um, you know, I, I think uh, using workers has been huge um, because uh, when you have an information-dense display uh, and a lot going on on the main thread. Anything that you can push off the main thread generally helps. Of course, you know, for, for every performance optimization you can do, there's always a drawback. Yeah, because um, I was going to say, the big problem there is, I, you know, because I keep thinking about that one, but the, you have to cross a, a, a boundary, a process boundary there, and, that's co- uh, and ship things back and forth, and that's costly too. So I, I rarely find I have anything that's worth... It's so compute bound that it's worth offloading, but you must have found some things. Yeah, yeah. There's there's uh, quite a few things. Um, uh, you, you know what's shockingly not uh, sorting. Sorting is not worth it. Uh, it. It's worth it up to a point, um, 
but but there's a middle point where it's worth it. Uh, if there's too little of items, it takes longer, and if there's uh, too many items, it takes way longer. Because you're spending all that time shipping the items back and forth. Well, right? it's a serialization uh, across the, the 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 worker boundary. So uh, a lot of a lot of just like general API calls, and then um, transformation on that data. Um, there, there was a lot of payoff there because it didn't lock up the main thread. Also, if you're doing uh, Canvas things, um, a, a Canvas is a, is a transferable. So uh, you can do off-screen Canvas and do your drawing right in there. Um, and, and that is good because not only does it not lock up the main thread, um, but because I believe the way that it's composited, nothing can lock it up either. So if your main thread locks up, your, your off-screen Canvas will still draw fluidly. So wait a minute, wait a minute, tell me. When I come back from doing my work on my canvas, I don't have to serialize the canvas. It just I just pass it as an object. It comes back and it's cool. No, it's it's a, it's a direct transferable. So you, you do what's uh, called transfer control to off screen, um, and then you have that context inside of your worker. And anything that you're drawing there, it, it's almost like a double buffer. Like it's getting composited right back onto the screen. Um, so there, there's no there's no uh, trip cost on that. Okay, that's sweet. Because otherwise I was just thinking, well, maybe, you know, what he's doing is he's calculating Fibonacci series in a really bad way. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, because that's how we do it in a demo, right? You want to see how powerful it is to shove these things off? Let's calculate Fibonacci the worst possible way, because that's what we always do, (laughs) and then ship that one out. And we get one number back, so there's no serialization issue. But but I I, actually, in the financial industry, I I could potentially see that you had some compute heavy stuff that wasn't so much serializing data as it was manipulating data. I was guessing maybe yeah, that yeah, was you know, your transformative case. stuff. And then you know, there's there's also um, general uh, web guideline stuff. You know, things like um, like like lazy loading, uh, like bundle splitting. Um, so not loading all the things. Like like a lot of the time, we'll have like dashboards that have um, a number of different things you can put in there. And rather than uh, loading it all in one bundle. Right. If they add that thing to the dashboard, now all the the bundle for all that stuff comes in with it. Lazy loading, pretty, and code splitting, pretty easy to do in React. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 largely a Webpack function, not a not really a React specific thing. Right. Do you have um, to configure their Webpack yourself? Is that where you're 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 down and dirty? Get down um, and dirty. not 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 most of the time. No, I mean, I, I do personally, but um, you know, for the, for the folks at home, um. Not really. Um, you you can just use the the import directive, um, and it it should be out of the box. If you want to use it with React, use a thing called React Loadable, and what is that's a component that uh, that handles that that kind of import for you, and then will also track its status. So it gives you the opportunity to show loading UI while that particular thing is uh, waiting to be loaded and parsed. How much are you implementing yourself logic for? Should component update? Um, almost none. Are you using pure component or it just? I use pure component, and then um, I like to use uh, Immer. Have you have you played with Immer? That's for immutability, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so yeah. So Immer, um, it, it it lets you know if uh, it, it lets you do immutability, but um, what's what's more important for me is uh, the structural sharing, right? Because you know you could do. Um, in React, uh, the 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 objects. If you create a new one, right, it's um, it's it's referentially unequal. Um, so you you could just do kind of like like spread based immutably immutable, kind of like that's like a usually, Redux. Yeah, producer. that's usually why I, why I kind of hack at it because I'm not dealing with big things, right? Yeah. So so I'm working with uh, extraordinarily big things. Um, 
and uh, the, the the clone that takes place during a spread um, yeah, is yeah. expensive. Yeah. So if you can use Immer and, and use structural sharing, um, you know, it's 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 a little bit more efficient. And then also, uh, it's it's kind of a, a pain sometimes when you when you're doing that kind of an update to um, to do like a, a, a nested modification. So the what, what Immer lets you do is is uh, it gives you like a draft state that you can. Uh, uh, like imperatively, and, and um, uh, you can like mutate it, right? So you could say like uh, uh, thing array brackets five dot id equals this, and then it takes care of of doing that. Right, that is a real pain in the ass when you're spreading and uh, and doing all that work yourself. Yeah, so you have to create um, these like interstitial like arrays, like new array and all that stuff, like. Absolutely. If you were if you're plunking around in a graph, uh, you you definitely want to do that. Of course, those of us who use Redux or NGRX or something like that try and keep relatively flat structures. We don't run into that all the time. But if you're if you've got that big old graph and you've got to keep it um, uh, all the parts of it uh, immutable, then I, I would be reaching for Immer in a hurry. Right we we use quite a bit of um, uh, like component local state. Because uh, the, the 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 with the normalization on a on a global store um, at this kind of scale, uh, it, it gets really memory intensive. What kind of tools are you using for for like profiling and measuring and things of that nature to t- test what you're doing is is heading in the right direction? So the React profiler is phenomenal. Um, not only does it show you the different renders and show you what changed, it tells you why, um, which is really helpful um, uh, with hooks. Um, I, I like hooks, but uh, I'll be the first to admit that a lot of it's not what I would call straightforward, um, especially when you're doing non-trivial things with them. Um, so trying to figure out why a memo didn't, mem- you know, memo is like the, the peer component of hooks. And it's like, um, why a memo didn't memoize? Why is this thing still rendering, right? And uh, it'll tell you that it was, it was this change or that change um, to, to this specific prop. Um, so then you can go figure out why that wasn't referentially equal and, and prevent that update. Um, aside from that, um, uh, for, for, for general sizing, right. I, I, I like to use things like, like Webpack dashboard, um, or, um, you know, any of the stuff from, from formidable, uh, for, for, for Webpack profiling and, and bundle visualization, because that'll give you a good idea of, you know, if, if you have really heavy assets, where that's coming from, you could see if there's like uh, dupes or version skews, things like that. Um, you, you get a pretty good breakdown of, of what's in your bundle. Um, so if you're trying to trim that down, that helps. And then, of course, uh, Chrome DevTools, which is amazing. Um, mostly the performance tab. Going in and doing performance recordings, and then taking a look at things like the user timings API, um, so that I can instrument applications, and then uh, c- kind of get some insight as to where specifically the breakdown is. Um, and also the memory tab um, that helps a lot when trying to debug memory leaks. Those aren't for the faint of heart. Let's be honest. <laughs> oh man! I mean, I you know that flame chart starts going and all, and I'm just thinking marshmallows, and I'm done. I. I... <laughs> Well, that was going to be my next question. I mean, let's say someone knows they have they they know they have a problem, and they've heard all these tools and techniques and everything that we've talked about. What would you say is the first step someone could take in order to get started? I would open up the performance panel and hit record, 
and 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 take the actions that you did that led to the performance problem and then hit stop and then it's going to load up your profile and the first thing i would say is look for red um because if you see red uh it'll give you a pretty good idea of where that is and then it then it's really like a drill down process right um you're going to see uh you know you don't have to worry really about like the the compositing or the paints or anything like that really i mean you you do but like you know from a high level you don't um, you can go in and it'll have, uh, you know, if you're using React in dev mode, there's user timings for, for your components that have them named. So you can go in and you can see what component took a while or rendered a bunch of different times. Right. Um, if, if it's just a regular JavaScript thing, then the main thread flame chart will also have a little red thing up in the corner. Um, and... Uh, you know, you, you, if 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 it's not a named function that you can identify, at least there's a a link to the to where in the code it is. If it's some kind of anonymous function or or something you don't know, so you know it's 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 the first uh, thing. It's the first breadcrumb in the trail, so to say. Uh, for, have for you your ever investigation. seen? Either of you ever seen a good video that sort of te- teaches you how to use these tools? Well, I, I can't put my finger on one. I can't really put my finger on it either. I, I was watching one earlier this week. Uh, I don't remember. I'll have to find it and put it in the show notes. But I have one that that does a fairly good job of kind of, uh, it's like a five-minute video that sort of just introduces you to some of these tools. You know, in, in many cases, that would be, I mean, I, that was, that's more than I can do. Because um, I, I, I've clicked those tabs, Ken. And, you know, I, I just click away from them as fast as I can. And, <laughs> uh, I, and I talk to people, you know, like you and uh, others, and they start walking me through how they, uh, you know, figured out where the thing was, whatever was going on. And I'm like, I don't know how you did that. I, I, don't, I understood every third word. I, I, and I, I got to believe I'm not alone. It's, maybe I'll maybe I'll make a video. That would be killer. That would be you great. Should, you should. Yeah, I mean, I, I did a little bit of one. So I, I spoke at um, Re, uh, uh, React Advanced in uh, in London, and I gave a React performance talk. Um, and I, I showed some of that. Um, but it, really funny. I was I was I was trying to um, use the React profiler to figure out why a thing was still re-rendering, and it was this. Uh, I think it was a use callback hook. And I, I, there was some error when I was trying to make it work properly, and I actually had to read the React docs on stage. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> uh, you should sing them. <laughs> it was great, and, and people thought that was like the biggest takeaway. That um, you know, mid talk, right? I, I hit this error, and you know, rather than you know fumble around, just just went and no shame at all. Just pulled up the React docs and went and looked. I mean, really, that's all it is. A lot of the time is just going and reading the manual. That is, that's a good tip. Hey, RTFM. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of tips, because what I'm thinking is, what are the top three duh moves that we all make to screw up our um, performance of our React apps? What are like the three things you just people always do and shouldn't do? Um, so, I mean, for, for me personally, right, um, uh, if you're if you're keeping something in state, um, a state update usually re-renders all the time. So if you don't want it to re-render, uh, don't put it in state. If you're using a class component, put it on this, right on the on the the, the, the class instance. Um, or if you're in a hook, you can you can put it in a ref, um, and then you can modify that value and and not have an update as a result of that. So like if you had something that you wanted to that you wanted to keep track of, like, 
um, I, don't, I don't know, like mouse position or something like that, right? And but but at the same time, right? It, it, you 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 weren't actively uh, reacting to it, so to say, mm-hmm. as far as a render. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of referencing it in in something else, right? You can you can put it there. Um, the other one would be um, don't use literals and props. Right, so like it, it, it like refer like strings and numbers are, are referentially equal anyway. You want to slice the pie unless they're like literally different. Right. Um, but you, sometimes you'll you'll pass in right out of convenience like like an array bracket into a prop, or you'll pass in an object literal. Um, and or like styles and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 uh, in in the context of the template, what that actually means is a new one each time. So it will never be referentially equal ever. And I, I think you even have that same problem with um, anonymous functions for event handlers, right? Yeah, you have it with anonymous functions. Right, you and can't remove in them. hooks, yeah. you have it with pretty much any function. That's why you have to use use callback. Um, use callback will will hold on to that and memoize it for you. Um, but you know, otherwise, you know, it's creating the function every single time. And then, you know, I, I guess if I had to have a third tip, it would just be keep an eye on those user timings, right? Like the the the, the flame chart in uh, in the performance tab is is a little unwieldy. Like you're you're drilling down, and it's it's got a bunch of stuff that is you know internal inside baseball. Um, but in user timings, it's actually broken out really well, right? It'll have the component names. It'll show them rendering, um, and that's a really easy way to see if something's re-rendering frantically. Just see it spinning in the window there. Yeah, yeah. Like, like if you, if you go and look and you see, uh, you know, a hundred entries of this thing re-rendering, but you only clicked update once, right. um, you know that that's very indicative that that this thing is is wasting renders in, in awesome. response to some external thing, right? Right, right. That and, and I would look exciting. in that. I would look in the Chrome tools for that, right? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 right. If you if you were to record a performance profile, it's right under timings. And you'll you'll know that it's React because they use the little like nuclear emoji to prefix the timing. So like for example, like if you if you if you had like a if you were setting mouse position in state on mouse move, and then like a child component of that uh, didn't have pure component on it, um, it's going to re-render on mouse move essentially. So you would see this like string of renders, um, which is every time you're you're updating state. Awesome. Well, I think that pretty much. Brings us to time. One of the things that we like to do is share uh, a resource or a tip with people here uh, at the end of the show. Ward, what would you have to share for us oh, today? Man, I completely <laughs> forgot that we do that. <laughs> so, Ward's tip is be prepared. Yeah, be prepared. Hey, you know, well, so when in doubt, uh, I go to my handy uh, tool bag of. I'm loving the Cybertruck, okay? The Tesla Cybertruck. <laughs> I put my hundred bucks down. Same. Uh, I won't be. It won't fit in my garage, um, <laughs> but I am looking forward to throwing baseballs at it and seeing them bounce off without. If I could get an else. invite for that, I would. I would really love to be a part of that. <laughs> so that's my tip. Go out there and throw your hundred dollars down on a truck that's too big for you. <laughs> uh, Ken, what about you? Oh wow, my tip. Um, uh, use GUIs is my tip. Um, you know, a, a lot of a lot of times people want to feel hackery and, and use uh, you know, CLI for everything. Um, but uh, I, I think that uh, GUI tools are phenomenal, and and people should use more of them. Uh, one that comes to mind is Source Tree. Um, I, I don't like Git at all, like like command line Git. Um, I, I feel much more confident 
when I'm oh, actually. It's kind of refreshing to hear someone say, actually. No, you got you're soft. <laughs> you guys are soft. You guys are flakes. <laughs> see? flakes. See? It's, it's, it's the CLI or nothing, man. There's no shame. There's no shame in There's sorcery. There's huge it's shame. You better turn your badge in. That's it. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. As soon as I quit Vim. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you can figure it out. Ow. Ow. <laughs> For, for mine, a uh, little more uh, React-related. So I, I found this. It was the Definitive Guide to React Performance and Optimization, which uh, had a lot of bunch of different tips, and it was a lot of fun to read in preparation for the show. Uh, it was written by Hardik Shaw, and it's available at simform.com slash react-performance. Of course, we'll have that in the show notes as well. This has been a ton of fun. Thank you so much for joining us, Ken. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having. Yeah, thanks for coming, Ken. Thanks for listening to Real Talk JavaScript. This show and all of our shows are available at www.realtalkjs.com with links and notes. John and Ward would love to hear what you think, especially about potential guests and topics for future shows. Follow and send them a message on Twitter at RealTalkJS. 